Hey, I'm Michael, and this is Michael in the Middle. It's an intergenerational relational podcast for people who are interested in better human interaction. I'm glad you're here. I've been looking forward to this for some time. Um, Me too. That's Matt Litton on the other side of the the the, the screen there, folks. And uh, uh, if you don't know Matt well yet, I hope you know him better by the time uh, we're, we're done here with this uh, recording because uh, I am fascinated by uh, your life and by your career and, um, and have a lot of respect for how you've handled um, – a lot of challenges, man, and and done so with a smile. Um, Matt Litton is a uh, an educator and an author and a husband and a father and a friend, um, and uh, and he's here on Michael in the middle today. And and so, as we often do uh, with these podcast episodes, and this is number fifteen. I don't know what if you ever wore number fifteen in any of your athletic endeavors, Matt, but you're. You're uh, episode 15 here with me, and, and I'm so glad to have you. Um, give us a little background on, on who Matt Litton is, and then we'll talk about, uh, we'll talk about some things as we go along, uh, especially what you've been doing lately. Yeah, well, well you and I met at, at Trevecca. Um, I'm, I'm a Trevecca grad uh, from, from the uh, mid-90s. Um, I actually came to Nashville in 1991 to play basketball. Uh, for Frank Wilson on, yeah. on, and, and, uh, was there played, played basketball at Olivet for two years. And then I, I had to come back home to Nashville. Uh, <laughs> Nashville always felt like home to me. So, uh, but I met my wife, uh, there at the college and, uh, uh, today I, I'm a, uh, I, I run a, a biz, a publishing business. Uh, and so I do collaborations and that means I help people who, you know, don't or can't write their own books, write books. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's something I started about seven years ago and it's turned into a, a, a really, really fun job. Um, so in, in the past, in the past month or so I had releases, I wrote a book with, uh, with Matthew West called the God who stays that just kind of talks about Matthew's journey through the pandemic and kind of discovering, uh, you know, how God walks with you through all the seasons of your life. Um, and then had an opportunity to work with uh, with Phil Wickham, who's just an incredibly talented worship leader. And and uh, that was a unique thing. Uh, uh, it's a devotional called On Our Knees and it's about prayer. Um, and uh, uh, Phil reached out about the book. And and I, I thought, you know, I told him that's interesting because I, you know, I had come out of a season of, of some some real challenges in my my family life. And, and I had been reading and studying prayer, you know. And so that's, that's, it was really cool to work with him on that. Um, and so, so that's, uh, that's kind of where I'm at professionally right now. I, I, I get an opportunity to work with these, these, these wonderful people and, and, you know, we don't spend a lot of time and you and I talked about this offline, Michael, you don't spend a lot of time being introspective of your, you know, about your own life and, and looking at your life from a 1500 foot view. And I get to come into people's stories and do that. Um, kind of, kind of study them. And, and it's just a really unique job. It's a really unique job. There's, there's a little bit of ministry to it. There's a little bit of coaching to it, a um, little bit of cheerleading and and then a lot of creativity. So I, I'm really enjoying it. I so, love that. I love that. Uh, you mentioned meeting your wife at Trevecca. Tell me, tell me a little bit about your, 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 your family that you have now uh, that you and, and your wife are raising, but also 
you know, maybe I know there's, I know there's some family history there that's connected to Trevecca and, and, uh, and, but just in general, um, there's, there's been some interesting twists and turns, I guess it's fair to say. Yeah. So, uh, my dad went to Trevecca and my mom, um, I think he was student body president in 1969 and she was secretary. I have the, somewhere in my office, I have their, their campaign, uh, their little <laughs> campaign flyers, which is great. He played on the first they, basketball. They campaigned league. together. Yes. The student government. As, as a as joint a ticket. ticket. I as love a ticket. it. Yes. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think dad ran against another, uh, another Trevecca author, Her Harold Ivan Smith. Is yes. His name. I, yes. I've had him on the podcast. Actually. Okay. All right. Yeah. Talented, a talented guy. Uh, yeah. dad ran against him and was student body president. And, uh, he played for uh, the first Trevecca basketball coach. And uh, I heard stories of mom and dad were married at the time when dad was playing for that team. And my mom tells me he would come back from practice and just, just pass out on the couch because uh, <laughs> uh, Bill, who went on to be the mayor of Nashville, Bill Boner, uh, coached yeah. that team, and he just ran those guys and ran those guys. <laughs> so I, I grew up hearing some stories about that. And, uh, you know, dad drove me down. Um, I, I was actually, I was actually looking to play uh, uh, at two small colleges in Ohio. And, and dad said, well, let's, let's drive down to Trevecca for a tryout. And I think Frank Wilson was nice enough to, to let me try out. And uh, um, I think I got embarrassed by this big dude named David Sutta during that. Trip. Oh, wow. But, yeah. But Frank, uh, Frank gave me a scholarship. So I came to Trevecca and, uh, you know, uh, was there for a year, went to Olivet for two years to try out a Northern school, but, but Nashville was kind of calling and came back and uh, met my wife, Christy there. She was from Florida. Um, we've been married 22 years and awesome. uh, we've got, we've got four kids. We've got a, a university of Tennessee grad who nice. lives here in town, um, who's, who's working in the creative space, doing some cool stuff. Uh, we've got a, a, a 19 year old, uh, at Lee university in Cleveland. Nice. Uh, we have an 18 year old, uh, uh, Jake, who's a senior in high school here. And then we've got our musician, uh, my, my daughter, uh, she's, she's a freshman at Renaissance high school in Franklin. That's so, so cool. Yeah. We've got a busy life. A lot of, a lot of sports, a lot of art stuff. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. So that's my that's wife. Uh, my wife works in music. She's a finance director at First Bank Amphitheater, um, and that's wow. right. that's one of our. You know, we, we we one of our passions is going out to see concerts. That's been our date night for for twenty some years. So so now we get free concert tickets. Um, <laughs> that's so, wonderful. Yeah. That's uh. What's been the best band you've seen lately? Oh man, you know we got to go see uh, uh we got to go see a band called Mount Joy and and we went both nights I took my daughter one night and they're from Philadelphia and they they were wonderful uh but I surprised Christy for our 22nd anniversary I took her to see uh Bono at the Rhyme and he he did kind of oh, a special wow. deal around his book and and U2 has always been a band that we followed as a couple sure know, when we were young so we we, I, I think she cried a couple times during that show. So we, we really enjoyed that. I, you know, Bono and, and you two in, in general, um, when you think about some of those iconic bands, you, it's easy to just get lost in the size of the crowds and, you know, maybe the, the money that they made. But, but people like that were honestly, I think, uh, particularly when you hear Bono talk, you know, trying to actually – make a positive difference in things. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I, I, a, I have respect for that. 
there's a real faith story behind them, which, yeah. which is pretty neat. So, and, and, yeah. and you know, I, I, whenever, whenever you can do anything from a creative and artistic standpoint that makes people feel like they're a part of what's happening. And that's always struck me about them. They, they've always been able to do that. You feel like you're somehow connected to what they're doing. Um, but, but that's fun. So one, one of my favorite books, uh, I don't know that, that it would be on your radar because I, I came, became aware of it about the time you were graduating from college windows, uh, to the soul or windows of the soul. I mean, by Ken Geyer mm -hmm. and, and he talks about how he prepared to be a minister. He felt called, you know, uh, felt a call to ministry. And so the only thing that he thought of at that time would be that he would need to go to college and then to seminary and then to go to a pastor, a church. And, and he said, I did all that and found out that I was lousy at it. And, <laughs> and at, at some point he, he just said, I think my best gifts are in writing. And so I, I, I want to be an author. I want to, and, and he talked about how he, stepped down from his ministry role and started pursuing writing and how that was financially disastrous to begin with, but it was what was deep in his soul. And, and the whole point is that God creates us with certain gifts. And sometimes we limit those gifts by thinking that they can only be applied in certain avenues of life or occupations. And mm -hmm. uh, the whole point was to, to find what it is that, that, your soul longs for, you know, in a sense and how you can, you can express that, I guess. And I think you've certainly found that to be the case for yourself. I mean, did you set out to be a writer? Not at all. Not at all. You know, I, I grew up, I grew up like doing two things, uh, playing basketball and writing poetry. <laughs> you know, so That's really, I'm sure. And tried to write some really bad poetry, but you know, at some point, at some point at Trevecca, I really felt a strong call to some kind of ministry. And I felt like it needed to be, you know, as a young man, you feel like it needs to be this traditional thing. And so I, I had this old, I was in a, a, a an old Testament class taught by this guy, uh, uh, Tim Green, who kind of <laughs> bounced around the front of the room and, and, and acted out these scenes from the Bible. And so for me, I was like, wow, this is the greatest story, you know? And so yeah. I, I got caught up in the storytelling aspects um, awesome. and, and what we can, we, what we can take from that narrative. And so, so it kind of it kind of turned my focus a little bit. Uh, I think when I was in my early 20s, I was really thinking traditional ministry. In fact, um, I was 25 and I had just accepted a, a youth pastor job and I still stay connected working with kids even even today. Um, but but I had accepted a youth pastor role at a Cumberland Presbyterian Church. Just wow. a wonderful pastor. I can't remember his name. Yeah. And my dad passed away the next day. And so, you know, I, I, I drove home and, and, and I remember I came back down to Nashville and, and I just felt like I'm, I was the oldest. Um, I was the oldest of three. And I, and I told that guy, I said, Hey, I've got to go home for a little while and make sure yeah. everything's good in Cincinnati. So, so I, I kind of took a, a, a turn, went to Cincinnati and worked for a while and never really came back, um, to, to traditional ministry. Um, you know, I worked in, uh, when I, when I did come back to Nashville, I was working in publishing, you know, I got a job as a publicist. Um, I got to drive, I, they, the, I was 25 years old and they let me drive Charles Stanley across the state of Tennessee. And I can't believe, <laughs> I can't believe the, how foolish those people were to let a 25 year old do that. But, you know, got to stand in line at a book signing with Franklin Graham, uh, you know, with 400 people in line and, 
And uh, he, he had to leave and he looked down the line and there's still a couple hundred people. And he said, I have to go. But Matt here will take all your names and addresses and mail you a book. So I had all these funny experiences of being around Christian celebrity types in my 20s. Um, but but, you know, it just it, it just was weighing on me that I wasn't I wasn't doing what God wanted me to do and, and prayed about it. And, and I, I went into education. Um, in fact, I started taking classes in the evening at Trebacco while I was working in publishing as a publicist. And, you know, I did some different things. I kind of worked all angles of the publishing industry there in the 90s and made a lot of connections. Um, and so at 28, I think I, I went over and I got a I got a teaching job at a private school so I could finish my master's at Trebacco and get certified. Um, and, and right around that point, uh, you know, my little sister and her baby passed away. She, she had a, she had an unknown heart condition. Um, we kind of, my wife and I were newly married. Uh, we had two kids, um, three kids at that time. And then just, just nine months later, we lost her mom to an unexpected. So we went through this, we really went through a, a, a time in our life where we were kind of alienated from everybody else in our age group. Um, get, dealing with that level of grief. We, we were having a different conversation about faith than a lot of people who were 30. Mm. Um, and so mm. we kind of, we kind of stepped away from church for a little while. Sure. Um, and, and, and at that point, you know, I, I, I began teaching in Cincinnati, um, you know, and, and had some success. I, I was a teacher of the year in the state of Ohio and, and was yeah. winning awards for, for teaching kids how to write, which I thought, you know, I had great kids first of all. Um, but, but what I didn't realize is I was learning how to write. Yeah. I was learning how to teach other people how to write, not just kids. Um, and, uh, we, we got involved in a great church at that point, kind of, you know, re-entered the church conversation. Um, and, and I started to write articles uh, about faith. Um, I started to kind of explore my faith. What does this look like post all of these tragedies and how can I start to, to integrate faith back into my life? And, um, you know, I look back on that time, God was really working on me and I was just putting this stuff in writing that I was working through in my personal life. Like, how do I contextualize tragedy? How, how, how do I, how do I be a good neighbor? And every time I would write something, it, it would, it would get published. I didn't get a lot of rejections and I had never thought of writing as a thing. Uh, so I started writing for relevant, um, and, and, and getting published that way. And I had an editor from Thomas Nelson uh, I had worked with him in marketing and he had kind of risen to an editorial uh, point. We were having a phone conversation one night. He said, you know, you, you, one of my favorite books was To Kill a Mockingbird when I was a kid. You know, yeah. we, I, I grew up in a house where Atticus Finch was up there with Jesus as far as <laughs> hey, we, we should we should emulate this cat, uh, he, you know. And so we were talking one day and I told him about this little exercise. I said, you know, I do this with my kids about this character in this book. And gosh, you know, it kind of it kind of, it kind of helps me teach him about God sometimes. And he said, you know, that, that, that'd be a great essay. And so I wrote the essay and I sent it to him. He said, you know, this would be a great book. Um, <laughs> and so I, I had never even dreamed of doing a book. And, and I set out on this journey to write the spiritual lessons at To Kill a Mockingbird. And we didn't want it to be particularly Christian. We wanted it to be something that people could take and say, Hey, this author is talking to you about your spirituality and how you live in community. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting. We we the Harper Collins, who publishes To Kill a Mockingbird, really wanted to publish that book. But Harper Lee's agent did not. And we you know, at the time, we didn't know that he was manipulating her and, and doing things that she didn't you know, she didn't know was going on. But his, his name was Mr. Pincus. We went back and forth with him. 
And they told me, well, you, you can't do this book. I had to go rewrite it. And by the time we got done with the book, it ended up being kind of a personal story and, and kind of a, a very Christian book. Um, and so everything I needed to know about publishing, I learned through that, that experience um, and, and continue to teach in Cincinnati. Uh, to make a long story, long story a little bit shorter, I did another book with Abington Press, you know, learned a little bit from that and just kind of came. We came to a point where, you know, I told my wife, I don't we, we need to come back to Nashville. And, and I can't quite tell you why. And we prayed about it. And it was a very difficult decision. We left my family in Cincinnati, came back down here. Um, and I was here for about, you know, six months. And I got a phone call from one of the biggest agents in, in publishing, in my world of publishing. And he said, hey, I, I, I've got this young man named Isaiah Austin. Yeah. He was an honorary draft pick in the NBA. He's blind in one eye. He's got a heart condition. He's got this incredible story. I need somebody that can do this fast and somebody that knows basketball. And so I didn't even know, I didn't even know what ghostwriting or collaboration was. I had no idea. And so I was thrown in this situation with this young 19 year old man grieving, grieving the loss of his possible professional career. Um, you know, being a little bit youth pastor, a little bit writer and putting <laughs> the story together. And, and I came out of that and I thought, gosh, I really like this. I really like this. And so it put me on this seven year journey of, of, uh, of working in people's lives and helping them get their message out, tell their story. And it's been, it's been really rewarding. I got two quick questions based on what all you've just shared with us there. One, I would just be interested to know, did you ever get to meet Harper Lee? I didn't, but you know, I, 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 I had the most amazing experience. I, I went to, uh, I, 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 I wanted to enjoy every aspect of that. I, I yeah. never, I, you know, I never dreamed of writing a book about a book and I, and, 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 and immediately I saw, I saw, I don't want to spend the rest of my life being the To Kill a Mockingbird expert. That's not yeah. what I want to do. Okay, good. But, but I, I really, you know, I, I got out to as many, as many book clubs as I could. And, and, and I had an older lady come up to me to book club and hand me an original printing of To Kill a Mockingbird. And she said, I grew up on Harper Lee Street. And, <laughs> and she said, I, I have to tell you how autobiographical that novel is. And she she started to talk to me about how where the tree is. The, 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 there's there's a there's a tree in the story that plays that plays an important. She said that they had to walk by that every day to school. And oh, she began man. to just kind of explain to me that that hey, she was just writing about her life, and it was really, it was really neat. And what? and it put it also put me in some just just powerful conversations about um, about race in America. Yeah. And and, yeah. and I I learned so much through that. Well. Um, I, your uh, your friend Chet Bush wrote a, a great life story of of Dr. Charles Johnson down in Meridian, Mississippi, mm -hmm. um, and um, and 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 I I know you guys probably compared notes uh, in, in the middle of all of that. When you're telling somebody else's story, you find certain aspects of your life that resonate with, I guess, what it must have been like for. For that person to experience all that they did as you begin to tell that story and um you know i to kill a mockingbird and 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 others are are stories that help people who didn't live the experience at least be exposed to the experience right yeah yeah i mean and that's a that's a huge deal so with isaiah austin i can't remember all the timing of that but but he he played one year at baylor if i remember correctly yeah right? he played two he played two years at baylor two years at was, baylor he, yeah and he was he was he was on track to be a lottery pick 
Yeah. Um, and, and the, the NBA identified him with a heart condition called Marfan syndrome. Right. Yeah. Um, and it, and it derailed his career. Adam Silver made him the first honorary draft pick in NBA history. But, you know, that was the first, that was my first experience with this, this work that I'm doing where I got in and I started to see how many times, you know, you know, there's two things that we lack today in, in our culture. The first is the connection to real human beings, you know, yeah. because of these screens that we live in, these bricks that we carry in our pocket, <laughs> yeah. we're always staring at. Right. Um, it, it allows us, it allows us to take the humanity out of, out of, out of our connection, mm-hmm. but, but also that we live in a spiritual reality, you know, and, and even this young man and his parents talking through his story and, and really paying attention to where these people came into his life at the perfect time to save his life in some cases, um, it was, it was stunning. And it, and it, and it made me look back at my story and see, you know, we, we spend so much time. I wish that didn't happen or, yeah. you know, and, and focusing on the grief of things instead of focusing on the new life that grows up around the hard things that happen in our story, you know, and, and the ways that the ways that God takes those broken moments, you know, um, you know, Isaiah had a couple, uh, a couple critical moments in his life where, you know, he, he, he could have died. Um, things could have gone really wrong. And he had people come in just at that time to kind of, kind of turn the story, send him in the right direction. He had, you know, pastoral influence coaches that, that, that changed his direction. Um, and, and since then, it's just been one project after another where I get to spend time, you know, kind of <laughs> looking through people's stories, you know, as if it's a book, t- turning it into book and, uh, and, and, and seeing where, you know, they often don't realize it, the spiritual realities around them. You know, they, they often don't realize how much they need the community to help them get where they are, you know? Um, I, you know yeah. What you're talking about right now is, is leading me, uh, you know, in a, in a kind of a, an awareness of, how in, when you're in the moment, you're experiencing that in real time. It's only when you get past that, that you can look back and have a little bit of perspective, mm-hmm. um, you know, over certain, you know, issues related to timing or to, um, you know, the, the, the people like you're, like you're talking about that came into your life or Isaiah's life in, in just the right moment. And uh, it, you can feel a little bit of that when it's happening. At least this has been the case for me. I've looked back and I've said, man, what if I hadn't met that person at that moment? How, yeah. how different my life would be. What are some things that you have learned either about yourself or about life or just anything in, in general that you've learned while you've been helping other people tell their stories. Yeah, uh, th- there's a book that I come back to and I, I try to read it once a year called uh, uh, We Really Do Need Each Other by, by Ruben Welch. Welch. And, nice. and, and it's a, uh, it's a little poem, uh, uh, you know, out, out, of, out, of the, out of the New Testament. And it's just a, it's a reminder to me that we are shaped and we, we are shaped by the people we surround ourselves with. You know, we're shaped by our community and we need these people that we live with. And, and I, I, I always challenge people. It doesn't have to look like a traditional church community, you know, but but you've got to have people walking with you, people of faith, people that believe in you, you know, and, and those are the people that can tell you, hey, you realize this is no accident. You know, you need those people to speak truth in your life. And and I think I think, you know, whether I've been working with, uh, 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 you know, someone that's 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 got a sense of faith or someone who doesn't. Uh, I, I've, I've learned how important 
community is to people mm. um, and how we, you know, we, we've got this concept that we just kind of pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and do these things on our own. But, you know, success is not an individual sport. Um, and I think mm. that's one of, that's one of the lessons that I've taken from this. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. What's uh, what in, in terms of the, the writing projects that you've already done, uh, are, are there any things, you know, particular things that stand out that surprised you um, while you were working on a particular project or was, was all your research done well enough in advance that when you, when you really sit down with the people you're helping write their story, you kind of already know what's coming. Yeah. You know, every, the, the, the thing that I tell writers, I, I, I coach some writers who are working on their books. I write books for people. Um, and I help, I help people take, They'll come and say, hey, I, I think I have a book. I think I have a story and I help them shape that into something that people want to read. But one of the things one one of the things that I tell people is books are hard. It's a mountain yeah. climb. It's it's lonely. You know, you, you, I'm not sure that it, there's not a lot of human beings that were made to sit at a computer for, you know, 60 hours and and put and put, you know, 67, 70,000 words on a page. Um you know, every, every single project has its own challenges. There's always an obstacle. You know, I always tell, tell the people I'm working with, the obstacle is the way there's going to be something that's going to be difficult that we, we are going to present. Um, that's going to present itself that we're going to have to work through from a, from a story standpoint and just, in just these people's lives. I think there's always, no matter what the project, there's always kind of an aha moment that somebody has about their own life yeah. experience. And that's just the coolest. That's just the coolest. Um, sometimes it's funny, you know? Um, and so, you know, I, I'm a, I'm an Enneagram seven. So, you know, I, I was telling somebody the other day, if, if I knew I had to work on sports books for the rest of my life, I'd quit. Um, <laughs> you know, if I knew I, I have, everyone has to be different. Um, you know, I, I, I have to go be with kids and teach at Belmont. I have to be involved with kids and I have to find these different things. I love being around people. The relationships to me that I build doing this are, are what that's, that's the most important thing to me. Um, you know, some of the authors that I work with building that friendship, getting to know their families, getting to understand their story. That's, that is, uh, that's what runs my motor. You know, it's great to see that book on the shelf. And I love, I, I love now that I'm a point in my career where I can get that little width on the cover. So, so, you know, that I did it, that's great, but, but I love the relationship aspects of it. That's, that's what means a lot to me. So. Uh, do you have any vignettes from any of these stories that you feel like folks might be interested in, even as a tease to go buy the book, you know? Yeah. You, one of my favorites, and I was talking, my daughter's a, a, an aspiring musician and, and she, she had a rough performance the other week. And, I, and there's uh, Matthew West's book is very autobiograph autobiographical. It's, it's uh, the God who stays. And uh, he tells a story about, you know, when he was in college, he decided he was going to play out wherever he could play out. If he got an invite, he was going to be there. And uh, so he he uh, he gets an invite from this one particular bar and he goes with his buddy and takes his guitar. And, he you know, he said he said my my catalog was he said it was personal songs. And he said, I wrote about God and I wrote about girls. He's like, I had two topics. <laughs> and uh, and so he shows up at this bar and it's not just any bar. It's a biker bar. And it's just not any kind of biker bar. He said, when you walk in, it says no glass bottles allowed. 
and they only hand out drinks in plastic cups. And, and Matthew says, what, what's that about? And he's like, oh, the, the bartender's like, you don't want to give these guys There's fights every night in here. And uh, so he, he, he recounts the story of standing up on this stage, cigarette smoke billowing throughout the room, these people glaring at him as he plays. And he, he just he says he, he, he prayed to God. He was like, you know, Lord. I don't remember. I don't remember a couple verses to this Tom Petty song, but please help me. <laughs> and and so he, you know, he's he start he starts to play some famous, uh, rock, uh, you know, you know, uh, 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 classic rock songs, and starts to win the and the you know the crowd, you know, some of the crowd starts to slow dance, and he says, you know, it's not the kind of dancing that I'd ever seen in church before, uh, but. <laughs> But he has and he has to escape. He has to run out of this place because the crowd starts to get antsy with his songs. And it's a great story. It's a great story. And just a reminder that, you know, um, you know, I always tell young people like like you're going to have these. You have to have these moments like these moments where that are catastrophic to you. Those are going to be a great part of your story. You can tell later, you know, when things are going well, you have to have those those learning moments. So that's a good one. That's a good story. That's so, so funny. Yeah. yeah. And, and sort of, you know, resonates with, uh, uh, sometimes the, the nature of people who grow up as, as I did, uh, sort of fearing that, that part of, of the world as it were, um, yeah. you know, and, and I, I, I guess I'm going to reveal a little bit about my own theological construct. I, I think sometimes, you know, people who are really steeped in the traditions of the church, which is a beautiful thing in my view. I'm glad I was. I'm glad I was uh, sensitive about the kinds of things that I personally got involved in because I, I think it helped steer me steer me away from trouble I might have gotten into otherwise. But man, if we look at askance at people based on where they are at the time, mm-hmm. what what shot do we have of ever maybe being a bridge to a better story for them, you know? Um, And I I think, I think the power of of a person's story that reveals all the different ways in which challenges have been a part, but they've also been a a blessing to a certain extent because it helps make you more of who God created you to be. If you allow it to be so, I think your own life demonstrates that. Uh, I can't imagine going through loss like you did at the age that you did. Our sons are well past that age now. And, um, you know, I, I try to think soberly about where I am in my own life as a 62 year old man. And, um, you know, I, I want to, I want to be engaged with people that, that mean the world to me across all these years, but I also want to still be making new friends too, that, that may have very different experiences than I do. Um, but nevertheless are loved by God just as much as I am. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so that's, that's a part of what this whole podcast concept is about in the first place. It's, it's not about being in the middle, like, you know, on a political spectrum because, Apparently that's not even allowed anymore. I don't know. <laughs> it will. It doesn't get you follows. So, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, I certainly haven't gone viral with the podcast yet. You know, I mean, yeah. I'm grateful for a few hundred uh, engagements every now and then, but it's, it, you know, I, I think Matt, what, what you demonstrate even in your spirit as you talk 
is this desire to engage in relationship with people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I pray for people that I've known a long time and I pray for people I haven't met yet, uh, that I would, that I'd be that kind of person. What, what do you say to people who maybe like you, like you mentioned, even for a time yourselves, you, you and Christy were, you just had to step away for a little bit and, and it could be for a variety of reasons, but, but, um, you know, what, what made the difference for you all to maybe give it another shot? Because honestly, I'm burdened for people who have stepped away for whatever reason and, and kind of just think that there's not even any need to give it another try. Yeah. You know what? I, I, I think, I think we get caught up a lot of times feeling like that we have to do all the work for God instead of trusting him. Mm. Um, you know, you know, uh, uh, I think Becca Stevens, who's who's a uh, she, she's over oh, at yeah. she 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 talks about grief and she says, you know, the the when you lose someone, there's that there's that bare spot in the garden, you know. But the mm -hmm. thing is, 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 is if you allow it to stuff will start to grow up around it. And it's not mm -hmm. that it will go away. It's this you don't notice it anymore because of all the other beautiful stuff that grows up around it. And I think that's what happens. And, and you know, I, I always encourage people when they're going through grief, you know, that there are no answers to this. You know, if, if 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 we're talking about grief in specific, the oldest book in the Bible, when Job uh, uh, asks God, why is this happening? God, I think God says I am. I don't think he gives him a, a, a clear. Well, you know yeah. what? It happened because A, B and C. And I, I've just I found it helpful. I learned during that time that it's not the answers we have. It's the presence we offer. It's not the awesome. it's 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 not that it's not that, hey, you know, God said that's 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 the wrong. It's that, hey, I'm going to be with you. I'm so sorry. I'm just going to be with you. You know, yeah. and I think Christy and I were fortunate enough to have people who um, understood that. And I and and, the, and and when we didn't have people who understood that, we had voices through, you know, books and 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 the voices of some of my religion teachers at Trevecca um, that started to bounce around in my head thankfully during that time, you know? Um, and, and I, you know, I have, I have friends, you know, I have friends who, who one particular friend's so worried about his, his child. She's an atheist. And, and, and I tell him she's, she's on the playing field. She's made a choice, you know, trust God with this. You know, yeah. if she's saying she doesn't believe in God, she's wrestling with God. She's wrestling with that meaning. And that's so much better than just ignoring the conversation altogether. Um, and so, you know, I, I would challenge, um, as I'm, as I'm getting older, uh, <laughs> I, I I'm learning to just shut up and sit with people, you know, um, that, that, because we, we, we are, we, we're not, God doesn't need a PR team. Uh, you know, he, 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 he needs people to just, just physically be there as his representation, you know, not, not with answers, not with. Um, you know, maybe with a cup of coffee or, or, you know, if you're Anglican like me, maybe a, a, a craft beer, but just spend time with people. That's super important. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm just marveling right now at something that you said juxtaposed against one of the funnest songs of the last 10 years or so. Shut up and dance with me. Yeah. Maybe somebody needs to write, shut up and sit with yeah. me. Yeah. Right on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, that's a great sentiment, Matt. And I, I, you know, I appreciate, I appreciate what, um, you know, you're, you you bring to the table because you certainly have a voice, but you help other people have 
a, a voice as well and, a, and perhaps a clearer voice than they might have without you. And uh, I, well, to, to you know, Michael, I, I did want to say this too. You, there, there are folks, there are folks that are going through hard times, and and I think one of the one of the values as I look back on the last, you know, from the time I was thirty and and processing that grief to the time now that I'm fifty, the 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 first two books that I wrote were were when I look back at those, and and I I shudder sometimes because those were my first two books. But but it, there's some value in sitting down and writing your own story and being yes. reflective about it, because there's there's some self-discovery that, that will happen. And, and I always encourage people, you know, if, if if you're feeling down, if you're feeling depressed, if you're wondering where God is, just take some time and start journaling about your own story. You know, not today, you know, look back at the last 10 years and just write about it a little bit, because you'll start to see that that you'll start to see that God was around the corner that God was there in that room, that, mm. that, that God was there in that lost job, that God was somewhere even in that divorce, that God was there. You know, you start to see his presence in these things when in that moment we don't always feel it. Um, so so that's that's a huge value. And I know, you know, most people aren't writers. And, and, and but but man, you just sit down and try to reflect a little bit. I mean, that, that's one of the big lessons I've learned, the value of doing this for the last, you know, the last 10, 15 years. So. Mm. Mm. What's uh, what's one thing that for people who maybe are just meeting you for the first time, uh, aside from writing their own story, what 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 are what are some hopes you have for, um, you know, your kids, your 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 friends, society in general? I mean, I, I, short of short of the uh, end of the age and being ushered into paradise. I mean, what can we do now to usher yeah. in a sense of that, of that someday that, that, uh, you know, has been such a part of the, the, at least the, you know, most major religions think about the someday. Yeah. But, but the, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, we I think we've adopted we've we've adopted this this idea in our culture that that there's something inherently wrong with us. And that's not quite the story, you know, from 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 a Christian perspective, sin entered the picture. But that that God, God puts his fingerprints on us um, when we go back, when I reflect on my life, there's things that that drive me that were there when I was very young. And, and I always encourage my young people find that person in there that God put it's God's fingerprints and it's okay. You know, that's okay. You know, it's a different conversation than the original sin conversation that we have. You know, you, you were uniquely designed to do something. You were, you know, we believe, you know, that we believe that you were formed in the womb to do something specific. And so I, I think a lot of times working with young people with, with, with my kids, it's like, Hey, you, you were made a certain way. Find that, find that thing, chase that joy, you know, and it might be, it might be that you have to work a day job to do that at night. But but if you're if you're doing that, that's a calling and you're doing it for the world. It's not for you. You know, you'll you'll find that God's fingerprints in you. The world needs that. Mm. It's not just about you, you know, and 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 we've got to be better about having that conversation in our face circles like like, you know, there's a fingerprint on you. You've been designed to do something and and, and, and we've got to get there. And, uh, you know, I think for me, uh, and, and I've got to be honest, I, I just, I was just challenged in the past week and since the pandemic, I, I was a conscientious objector when it came to politics 
And somehow I've gotten sucked in in the last year and a half or two years or however long it's been. And, and I, I, I'm ashamed to say that. Um, but, but we need to, we need to look at each other and see that the fingerprints of God in each other. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm, and I'm afraid that's going to, I'm afraid that's going to mean putting our phones away and having a lot of coffees and, and, you know, a, a lot of time at the local pub and just reminding ourselves that, that, you know, we are all in this together. You know, we're all in this boat. Um, because I, I, I'm just, I, I, my, your newsfeed, I bet we have similar news feeds and sometimes the 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 uh the disconnection and the yelling and the anger is unbelievable unbelievable and so i worry about that um and and dealing with people's stories i always see god's fingerprints in people's lives and at that i have to remind myself hey that dude is a child of god no matter what he's saying um to to quote to quote one of my favorite books no matter what these people say or do they are still our neighbors um and man that's been a real that's been a challenge for me um and, and it's been something I'm preaching to myself and preaching to my kids. Um, so th- those would be the two things. So, but we, we have a, we have a super talented, you know, um, when I think about some of the people that were at Trebekah with me and how, how amazing their careers ha- have gone on to be, you know, as, as producers of big radio shows of authors, you right. know, uh, uh, who, who are writing, you know, uh, uh, you know, Chet and the Charles Johnson thing. I could just name, I could name 50 people and, and we had a, we had professors that believed in us. We had cheerleaders that were saying, "Hey, this is how you were made. Go do this." And and we just, I love that about Trebekah. We need to keep doing that. We need to keep <laughs> encouraging those young people to go do that stuff. So, that's that's beautiful. That's so cool. You know, I I I guess the the the, the way we kind of wrap this up, or at least the way I'm feeling led to wrap this up is to endorse what you're saying about engagement with people in person. Um, I won't go into the full story about what led me to, to say this, but I felt very led to reach out to somebody that I had held at arm's length for far too long because of their life choices. And I realized that I was making a life choice as well by shutting them out. And it, it was as if God, you know, said clearly to me, you know, it's impossible to hug somebody with your arms folded or with them extended out. The only way you can hug somebody is by start, starting like this and welcoming them in. And it's hard to hug by proxy. You know, it's hard, it's hard to hug, you know, or give you a high five looking across from you at the screen. I'm looking forward to sitting down and grabbing lunch or something one of these days soon and, and just, just talking ball or something, you know, just being together is, is a pathway to conversations and moments that we can't manipulate. And uh, I, I, I long for that in our society. And I thank you for your call, your clear call to help people find their voice and find their story and, and to, to share their lives. Uh, with other people. You're, you're an inspiration to me, man. I, I really do appreciate what you're trying to do and, and not just what you're trying to do, but what you're doing. Uh, you know, you, 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 you're doing great work. And I, I, uh, I have no doubt that, uh, that, that you will continue to do so. Well, I, I don't want to, I don't want to embarrass you, Michael, but, but you, you, uh, you're, you're a role model for folks in, in, in my, uh, from my age group. That, that came through the the college and we look to you as somebody that that 
And I was teasing you earlier and said, you know, some of my friends say wherever two or more Trevecca grads are gathered, Michael Johnson might be there. But <laughs> but you, your but your role as a connector, the way you connect people who who may not think alike, who may not always spend time together. It's just it's it's been a real it, you really have been a kind of a role model for all of us. Mm-hmm. The way you do that. I mean, you've made that your life's work, bringing people together. I mean, that's how that's how we see you. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I gotta thank you for that. It means a lot to us. So I, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm both embarrassed and incredibly <laughs> grateful. Uh, you know, one of the things that I learned while I was studying generosity is that it is an act of generosity to receive the kindness of another. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's a fake humility that ensues, but I, Thank you. That was very kind of you. And by the way, we are all grateful for the gift of your son on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> yeah. I, that dude, he's awesome. He's funny. He's awesome. So, well, you know what? He told me, told Sarah and me years ago that he felt like that's what he was born to do. It's what he loved doing, which was to make people laugh. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've, I've told, you know, different people who contacted us about him, you know, what he was like when he was younger. I mean, he, he started writing jokes in a, in a little kind of mini Moleskine kind of, kind of notebook. And when a joke idea would occur to him, he'd write it down and then he would, then he would work it, you know, and this is something that he's been wanting to do uh, for as long as he can remember. And, you know, who doesn't want to grow up, making the major leagues, you know, or whatever the pinnacle of, of one's giftedness to be. I mean, for him, Saturday night live was one of those goals and, and, and he, he set out to do it. And and he's one of the really fortunate few who, who've been able to do so, you know, I mean, his, his two older brothers are, you know, in their worlds, just as successful. They're just not on the same public platform, you know, and that's what I think people need to, to maybe keep in mind when you're pursuing something that you feel like you've got some gifting to do. My, my boys have been great about adopting the mantra of just doing the next right thing Mm -hmm. and allowing the results to take care of themselves in that process. And, um, you know, yeah, Austin's he's, excuse me, James Austin is, uh, is uh, quite the entertainer these days. They're keeping us entertained. They they've given us grandchild number six in the past year, and so uh, we we already see signs of a of a budding entertainer and that little boy that's not even a year old yet. He, that's awesome. He's uh, he's a lot of fun, and you know, man, we're so blessed. And I I am blessed by your words. I'm blessed by your friendship, and I'm blessed that you took the time to be with us here on Michael in the Middle. Um, well, thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you, friends. We'll uh, we'll see you again real soon.